is it is it time for the scripture reading? Oh, good. Um, the scripture this morning is from Ephesians chapter three, verses fourteen to twenty-one. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom all families in heaven and on earth derive their names. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being grounded and rooted in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We'll never get it out now. So certain are you. Always with you, what cannot be done. Do you nothing that I say? Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do, or do not. There is no try. Thank you. 
the impossible. You want the impossible. Luke Skywalker is on Dagobah, trying to learn to use the force and become a Jedi. Yoda wants Luke to be able to lift this huge X-Wing fighter out of the swamp. And here we see Luke, uh, Luke giving up and saying, you want the impossible. I don't know about you, but doesn't it feel like that way sometimes for us? That God wants the impossible? He tells us to be perfect as he is perfect. He wants to follow him when there's so many around us who don't follow God or who don't believe in Jesus. He wants to follow him and his ways when sin is so tempting and easy to do. Why make it so enticing, God, to sin if you don't want us to sin? God, you want the impossible. And throughout my own Christian journey, Trying to be a good, holy Christian has felt like a big fail at times. I feel like I'm caught up in this cyclical cycle of sinning, asking for forgiveness, making a commitment to God to not sin again, and, you know, do okay for a little while, and then think that I'm pretty good, and then, boom, you make another mistake, or get angry at some dumb driver, or commit that sin You've vowed you would never do again. Like an addict, we keep going back to the very thing that we detest, and yet we cannot break out of that cycle of sinning, asking for forgiveness, promising not to do it again, and then sin again. Only if I spent more time reading the Bible, only if I prayed hard, uh, hard enough more, only if I was part of a really supportive community, of Christians, only if I just tried hard enough, then, then I wouldn't sin. Only if I had that willpower, like some of my other friends who wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> if we knew enough, tried hard enough, we found that perfect secret 10-step program, we should be able to be like Jesus, right? C.S. Lewis, and you can tell I like him, has a great line about this. He says that no man or woman knows how bad they are until they have tried very hard to be good. No person realizes how bad they are until they've tried very hard to be good. His point is that unless we try to be good, that is when we try to resist evil and temptation... That is when we realize that we are actually not good. It is when we try to be like Jesus, we realize that we cannot be like Jesus. It's impossible. We suck at being like Jesus. The more we try to be like God, the more we seem to fail at it. Or as Yoda would say, there is no try. <laughs> In the book, uh, Jesus Manifesto, Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola write about how Jesus could not be a successful Christian and that Jesus himself admitted to it. John, 5, John chapter 5, verse 19, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. John 5, 30, 
I can of myself do nothing. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 19. Now beyond one came, now beyond one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do? What I may, yeah, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? It's too much Yoda, right? <laughs> so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Here, Jesus seems to say that he himself cannot do anything on his own. He, the divine being in flesh, cannot do anything of his own. Even more, he says, don't call me good. Only God is good. John 5, 19, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. John 5, 30, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John 8, 28. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. John 14. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own words. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus didn't do or live his life by his own strength, but lived by the relationship and energy of his Father who indwelled in him and he in the Father. He lived to please his Father and spoke what the Father spoke and worked when his Father worked. It is because of their intimate relationship where the Father was in Jesus and Jesus in the Father that gave Jesus the ability to be who he was. So if all that Jesus did, taught, and lived was not of his own strength or of his own doing, but rather in this interconnected relationship with the Father and the Spirit, why do we think we can do it on our own? Jesus himself says that we cannot do anything on our own, and so does Paul who agrees with Jesus. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. It is when we come to a place of recognition that we cannot do it on our own, and when we get to a place of surrender and trust in Jesus, that we can be who God made us to be. As Yoda said, we need to unlearn what we have learned. In the same book, uh, Jesus' Manifesto, Sweet and Viola write that many Christians have been stuck in our understanding of the Christian life as something we need to do, that if we try hard enough, we can be like Jesus. What we have to unlearn is that we are not to live as people from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but rather we are to live as the people who live by the tree of life. What we have to unlearn is that in Christ we are free to live as people who eat from the tree of life and not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's not about how much we know. It has nothing to do with degrees or anything like that. It's not what we know to be good and evil. Our whole world right now is fighting over what is right, 
what is wrong, what is truth. These are the things that caused Adam and Eve to be banished from the garden. God told them to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we continue to do so even as we are freed and are called to live and eat from the tree of life. Christianity isn't about our ability to, to follow rules or not. It isn't about whether or not I have a greater capacity than you to, uh, to control my, my urges, my body. It's not about my level of willpower. Whether or not we're good or bad, strong or weak, rich or poor, a good Christian or a bad Christian, we are all in need of Jesus because he is the source of our very being. So what does it mean for us to be and not do? How do we live as people of the tree of life and not the tree of good and evil? We're in a series uh, that's called Awestruck, and we're exploring the mysteries of God that leads us to wonder and worship. This week, we're looking at this mystery, that Jesus lives in us. Jesus dwells in us. The God of the universe who is infinite, who is fully God and fully human, this God we know in Jesus dwells and lives in us. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1. I have become his servant by the, commission of, <clears throat> by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in his fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generation. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that God, who we know in Jesus of Nazareth, is in us. He dwells and lives inside of us. No less than 164 times, Paul refers to Christians as people in Christ, in him, or in God, or in the Lord. Paul expresses this truth in Ephesians where he prays for the church and again speaks about the mystery of God revealed to both Jews and Gentiles and therefore prays for his people to be filled by the power of his spirit, of the spirit of Jesus. Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his faith, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He wants the church of Ephesus to be strengthened through the Spirit so that Jesus may dwell in their hearts through faith. The Greek word here, dwell, here comes from the root word okio. Here the preposition kata is added, which means to go down. So, which makes the word kata okio or kato okio to mean dwell down or settle down. So what Paul is saying here is for the people of Ephesians to have Christ settle down in their hearts through faith. This is the same root word John uses in John chapter 1 when he says that the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us or he settled down among us. There's a very big difference when someone comes over to your house to dwell as a guest 
or to dwell at your house as a resident. As a guest or someone who's visiting, they have no ownership. They don't belong. They tiptoe around and are on their best behavior, making sure, you know, they're not doing the things that they would normally do in their homes. And it's just hard to be yourself when you're at a guest at someone's home. And if you're having a guest at your place, you also can't really be yourself, right? Like you can't walk around in your underwear. (laughs) Not that you do that, but, you know, some of us may. (laughs) And that's okay. So when Paul says that Jesus may dwell in our hearts, he means to let Jesus become more than just a guest in our homes. To surrender to Jesus, to have faith in Jesus, is to let Jesus reside in our inner being, to the deepest core of who we are. Most of the time, we do not want Jesus to make his home in us. We, we want him to come and visit. Maybe check out our kitchen or stay in our guest room, but not, not in our bedroom, not, not in our attic, nor would we ever want to show him our, our closet space where we hide all of our junk. Yet if we are to have him dwell and settle in, we're giving room for Jesus to reside in all of our being. Even the spaces and areas that we don't want to remember are for ourselves or the areas we want to hide. Lewis, again, puts it this way. Most of us let Jesus in so that he can make us decent people. Nice, tidy Christians who go to church, pay taxes, and are good citizens. However, God wants to make us more than just nice chaps or nice chap, chapettes. Chap, I don't know what the... Nice gals. He has made us to be more than just nice people. So though all we want Jesus to to do for us is to help us break some unhealthy habits, maybe, you know, wants wants us, you know, just, you know, take away some of that aches and pains that we may have. But Jesus wants to completely transform us into heavenly beings. Jesus doesn't want to come to our house just to fix a leak here or there. He comes to break down walls and open doors that are at times very painful. Why? We want him to give us a nice renovation, but Jesus wants to build a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The mystery of Christ dwelling in us goes beyond comprehension. For Paul, this knowledge is not just head knowledge of the truth that God lives in us, but rather that knowledge is experienced in love. It is the love of God that we experience as Jesus lives in us that surpasses all knowledge. And as we are rooted in his love, we are able to love others as Christ loves us. 
As we embrace and are established in love, we become part of the mystery of God that Paul speaks about. The mystery of God is that the Gentiles who the Israelites thought were never part of God's promises are part of the same promise. And that Gentiles and Jews alike will have the almighty God living in us. This presence of God in us, which is experienced in love, will beget love and lead to a loving union with us and God, but also with one another. In, in John's gospel, after the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples that he will be leaving. <clears throat> he tells his disciples to love one another and that he will send the Holy Spirit and says this in John chapter 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Did you see that? Jesus says, he is in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Not only does the Spirit of Christ live in us, we also are in Christ. Jesus continues further on in John as he's praying for unity in John chapter 17. I am not asking on behalf of them alone, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their message, which is us, that all of them may be one as you, Father, and me, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Did you see that again? Jesus is praying that we, his disciples, may be one as God the Father and Jesus are one. And then he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Not only does God live in us and reside in us, we live and reside in God. This is the mystery of our faith in Jesus. Not only does the God of the universe reside in us, we also get to reside in God. It is this mutuality of relationship, this reciprocal love relationship that God invites in us into. And this is why Lewis says that the only person who can get in the way of God doing something great in us is us. Because love is not forceful. Love asks for permission. So the only people who can push God away is us. So Lewis says, the command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that, that can obey that command. He said in the Bible that we were gods, and he is going to make good his words. If we let him, for we can pre prevent him if we choose, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love and the force as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale. His own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful. But that is, that is what we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. <clears throat> Luke Skywalker gives us 
gives up trying to lift this X-wing fighter out of the swamp. And he leaves saying, you want the impossible. Yoda then uses the force to lift the X-wing fighter out of the swamp. Yoda, who is so small, is able to do something much bigger and greater than what Luke can ever imagine. So when Luke sees what Yoda has done, Luke exclaims, I don't believe it. And what does Yoda say? Any Star Trek? Star, sorry, Star Wars fans? Oh, yeah. He says, that is why you fail. Because you don't believe. Luke failed not because he didn't try hard enough. He failed because he didn't believe. We are called by the God of the universe to have faith. To believe that God will do more than what we can imagine. That God himself will reside in us and make us into glorious beings. Because he is the one that created us. We are called to trust and surrender ourselves to Jesus. Who will reside in us and make us glorious. And the only person who can get in the way of that is us. Jesus Christ, Son of God, who was there in the beginning, through whom all things were made, wants to reside in us. Father, help us to believe. Not believe in an intellectual way, but in trusting our whole lives into your hands. So there is, that there, there is no try, but that we can just be and do, do through the power of your Holy Spirit residing in us. Let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful for who you are, that you're a God who loves us, that calls us your beloved children. that wants us to try not because it's in our effort or our abilities, but as a child who takes their first step, you as a father watching are delighted when we do. And even when we fall, you're cheering us on to get back up again. And yet, at times, Jesus, we're scared of what you may find in our homes, in, in our deepest um, closets, because sometimes we ourselves aren't ready to face that, to deal with it. And so, Jesus, give us faith, give us trust that you are not opening those doors to shame us, but because you love us and you want to free us from those things. So our response is to get down on our knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. And we ask him to strengthen us by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in us as we open the door and invite him in. And we ask him not that with both feet planted firmly on love, that we'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love, 
reach out and experience the breath, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. So now to him who is able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.